Today on Clear Approach, I talk about my latest adventures in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And then we review the latest medication to be approved by the FAA for the treatment of depression in pilots. All this and more coming up on the Mayo Clinic Clear Approach podcast, your home for aerospace medicine that matters. Greetings, everybody. This is Dr. Van, your medical co-pilot, coming to you again from the Mayo Clinic in uh, hot and muggy Rochester, Minnesota. Now, I know many of you out there must have your minds completely blown that I am putting out a podcast so soon after the last one. I think it's only been about um, two weeks or so since the last one. But hey, I promised, and it's really easy to do because I have got aviation all over my brain as I just got back from EAA's Air Venture Show in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. It was an absolutely unforgettable trip for both good and bad reasons, but I won't bore you with the details. Uh, what's that you say? You do want the juicy details. All right, well, if you say so, then grab a cup of coffee because it's story time again, this time featuring Dr. Van's adventures at EAA Air Venture in 2023. All right, let's just uh, set the stage here first. Uh, the EAA Air Venture Show is the largest air show in the entire world, and it's set in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And how it got to be in Oshkosh, I'm not certain, but I'm sure my good friend Dr. Google uh, has the answer to that. Anyhow, it draws people from all over the world. Now, this is a, a week-long event, and uh, there's two ways that people arrive. One is either just driving in. Well, okay, I guess three ways. You, I saw a guy that rode his bike in, um, amazingly. But most people drive in or they fly in, as in their own aircraft. And with the number of planes that arrive, uh, the Oshkosh Tower gets the honor of being the busiest air traffic control tower in the world during the Oshkosh event. When it comes to staying at Oshkosh, there's a couple of different ways. You can uh, stay in a hotel, one of the, the few hotels around, and that costs an arm, a leg, and a kidney. Or you can camp, uh, either in a tent um, or a travel camper or an RV. Um, if really cool, you fly your plane in, and then you camp under the wing of your plane or uh, next to it if you're in a low-wing plane like a Cirrus. But for me and my family, i got four kids and uh, my wife, who are all coming with uh, with me, we decided to go the old-school way and do tent camping. And no, I've been tent camping uh, since I was in high school. This is very familiar territory for me. So this is not going to be one of those horror stories of, oh my gosh, I went camping for the first time in my life and never will I do it again. So like I was saying, it's a, it's a week-long event and couldn't go for the whole week just because of work duties. So we arrived on Friday night with intention to stay all the way through Sunday night. It was about a four-hour drive from Rochester, and as soon as we got there, we jumped out of the car, and in true EAA awesomeness, we were greeted by a loud flyby by an F-22 Raptor. Talk about blowing my kids' minds uh, from the get-go. So with that, I start happily unpacking our Honda Pilot, which we had fit basically an entire REI store into. And with the sound of the Raptor overhead, I happily began assembling our campsite. That was when challenge number one for this trip came up. I made the classic novice camping mistake of forgetting all of our tie downs and tent stakes. 
So there I am looking at my tent and I'm thinking about just winging it and hoping for the best. But that's when the EAA radio announced that there might be a chance for a little bit of a storm later. So with that, I hopped in the car and I got to take a lovely tour of all of the Targets and Walmarts in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And after a good hour or two, I was able to locate the last four tent stakes in all of Oshkosh, literally. I could see where there had been a lot more, but all the bins were empty except for those four stakes. It's almost like tens of thousands of people were camping in the city at once. Go fig. All right, so at least I found them, though, and I'm driving back to the campsite. It takes about an hour uh, with all the traffic and everything. I can see this uh, storm starting to build up on the horizon with some pretty spectacular lightning, like it was some sort of Marvel movie. So I get back to the campsite, and then I quickly jump out. It's already starting to rain, but I, I quickly hammer everything down that I can with the four stakes that I that I had. Uh, just as the rain was starting to, to uh, go from vertical to horizontal, my family and I jumped into our tent. Now, for the longest time, I have felt that I have a guardian angel on my shoulder when it comes to weather. Uh, Not a bad thing for a pilot to have. And the reason I think this is, you know, I'm like any other pilot. I really enjoy watching the weather systems and when a good storm comes through, especially if I don't have to be outside or flying in it. And so anytime a storm is, let's say, forecast for Rochester, Minnesota, I look eagerly to the skies And you guessed it, what happens, the storm never comes. Or it splits in two and goes around Rochester and then rejoins back up on the other side, so we just totally miss it. It's not just my experiences in Rochester that has uh, led me to believe about this divine intervention with weather. Uh, I once lived in Richmond, Virginia and watched a hurricane come through, took out the power uh, in the city for about a good week and a half, uh, except for my apartment building. Everyone else around me had no power. So when I heard, yeah, we're going to get a storm at Oshkosh, I'm like, okay, whatever. It's going to just blow over. It's going to be no big deal. But as it turns out, I didn't really have a guardian angel on my shoulder. Really, my life has been a state of Mother Nature building up karma so that she could wreak havoc on me Friday night at Oshkosh. The storm that came through was of biblical proportions. I think the official weather forecast was uh, for about 40 mile per hour gust, uh, some hail and heavy rain. And wouldn't you know it, the forecasters were right on with that. At first, our trusty tent did well, but it only was a matter of time before our tent completely collapsed in like my stock portfolio. So there I was. Uh, It's about 11 o'clock at night now at this point. I'm underneath our collapsed tent with four kids and my wife. Water is starting to trickle in from the sides. And I did the only thing that I could think to do at that point to save us. I had four kids. I had four corners of my tent. So I sent them to all four corners of my tent to push up the sides while my wife and I held up the middle. And we proceeded to stay in that position for approximately 45 minutes while Mother Nature gave it to us. But sure enough, eventually the winds died down. The rain stopped, and my family and I relinquished our temporary jobs as tent pulls. Challenge number two done. In retrospect, I'm grateful. I've heard it's not a proper trip to air venture if you don't go through at least one storm. All right, at that point, it's about midnight. I'm tired. I've been holding up a fort, literally, with my family. So we figured, okay, let's just go to bed and um, just get some rest before the, the fun and adventures start the next day. So I get to bed um, pretty easily. We've got a pretty comfortable setup, so uh, falling asleep is not hard in our tent. 
At about uh, 2 30, 3 o'clock or so, I get a tap on my shoulder and it's my youngest kid. And I roll over and I'm like, What's up? And he says, I think I'm going to throw up. And I'm like, Okay, whatever. If you're a parent out there, you've heard this like a thousand times from your kids and like one out of 10 times, uh, they actually throw up. So I'm like, Okay, you're probably just tired. Just go uh, stick your head out the tent door and get some fresh air. And if you got to throw up, just throw up out of there. And I roll back over. So he does exactly that, you know, unzips the tent and uh, sticks his head out the door, gets some fresh air. And then I hear a sound of uh, what sounds like an elephant blowing their nose. I roll over and there he is, just puking his brains out, poor thing. Now, my kid's a great listener and he did exactly what I told him to do, which was, you know, just stick his head out the door again uh, and, and puke. But what I forgot to tell him was, please do not puke on our shoes which were, of course, sitting outside of our tent door. And, well, you guessed it. You know where I'm going with this. When I went up to see how he was doing and pat his back, I could see that our shoes had been basically turned into a uh, a vomit soup buffet. And to put the uh, cherry on top of the cake, uh, as soon as he got back in and laid back down, he then proceeded to vomit into his only sleeping bag. The poor thing. But anyhow... So ends challenge number three of my lovely trip to Oshkosh. We all get back to sleep and I wake up uh, fairly early in the morning, feeling quite gross between the heat, the vomit, and the rain. And I figure, well, it might be a good time for a shower. So I uh, get up, go out of the tent, rinse off our puke shoes as much as I can with some bottled water, put my shoes on, and then start the march off to the public showers. And that's when challenge number four reared its head otherwise known as mud. Now, remember, I was camping outdoors in a field, essentially. There's no gravel or anything like that. So all of the dirt that comprised the roads around the campsite basically turned into a mud bath. If Jimi Hendrix had been playing in the background, this would have been a perfect reenactment of Woodstock. It was thick, like walk on it and your shoe comes off thick mud. But if anyone has been through a mud pile before, you know that the best thing you can do once you're in it is just to keep going. And I figured, well, at least I'm going to go take a shower and I'll be able to rinse this all off. Wrong. So I get to the shower house and um, just to set the stage, there's a couple of different shower houses around the campsites, you know, and they're they're permanent buildings. They have shower stalls uh, that are semi-private. You got a little curtain that you pull across. Um, the shower itself is just a hose that you might see a hose and a spigot. You might see on your kitchen sink. Like, you know, you got to push down the handle in, in order for water to keep coming out. And if you let go, it stops. And I had read and, uh, all about this before going there. So I kind of expected it to be a pretty rudimentary shower. And I've showered in some pretty weird places in my life. Uh, that's a different podcast, but anyhow, I expected all that. But what I did not expect was that Since everybody wanted to take a shower that morning and everybody was tracking in mud to those showers, basically I was standing in about two inch deep water that was warm and completely brown while I was taking my shower. It's pretty much the closest I've ever felt to being a cow being washed in preparation for slaughtering. And I like my showers, but I got to say, I think I broke some sort of land speed record while I was in there for bathing. And I bathed. And at least 80% of my body got uh, clean, the 20% not clean being my feet. But whatever, I was going to put them back into uh, partially vomit-covered shoes anyhow. But that was that. 
So finally, after all of that, and we got ready uh, for the day, we set off to go to the air show. And I got to say, it did not disappoint at all. Uh, first thing we did was get some breakfast while we were in there, and then we went around and toured some of the uh, the vendor booths. Uh, I got to see the uh, latest Cirrus lineup and uh, stopped in their store and got myself a Cirrus hat and shirt, which is probably going to be the cheapest thing I buy in my entire life that has the word Cirrus on it. But of course, there was way more than just the modern general aviation stuff. There were a lot of vintage aircraft, warbirds, military aircraft, and a lot of these things you can actually uh, walk around inside of. Like we got to walk uh, through the interior of a C-5 Air Force plane, which is just huge. About midday, it started getting pretty warm, so we decided to head back to our campsite and uh, just take a little bit of rest. Uh, Unfortunately, since um, we had left the windows uh, up, uh, from the rain shower the night before, the inside of our tent was quite hot and uh, wouldn't it cool off. So we decided, well, let's just open up the tent uh, windows. I mean, after all, the forecast was only calling for about 1% chance of rain that day. And we headed over to the EAA Museum. If uh, none of you have never been, the EAA Museum in Oshkosh, which is permanently there, is quite awesome. I've been through a lot of uh, aviation museums in my life, but uh, uh, this one was quite impressive. I really enjoyed the exhibits and learning about Uh, some of the early home-built aircraft, and some of the techniques used to build airplanes. So I'm looking at the exhibits uh, in the museum, and I get a notification on my phone that rain could be starting in about 20 minutes. Now, I thought that was really odd, since they had only forecast for about a 1% chance of precipitation. Now, this was a bit alarming, because uh, one of the main things I wanted to see while at EAA was the evening air show. And so I glanced at the radar real quickly, and it just showed a very small cell coming in from the west. And when I got outside of the museum uh, an hour later in preparation for the air show, I didn't see any signs that it had rained or anything else was coming in. So, whew, crisis averted, or so I thought. Anyhow, like I was saying, the the main thing I wanted to see was the the evening air shows. And they do two of these uh, over the course of the week at Air Adventure. The show started uh, right around 8.15-ish or so and started off with a bang. Got to see the F-22 and all its glory do some flybys. And that was followed by some other um, awesome aircraft, including a a MiG-29 and then some general aviation uh, aerobatic stuff. After the air show came the uh, very famous fireworks show that they do uh, after each one of these evening shows. And of course, we were all excited to see this, especially my kiddos. And of course, the uh, the show started off awesome, uh, of course, with a bang. But as time went on, we realized that we were listening to a lot more music than we were watching fireworks. And then eventually the fireworks just disappeared altogether. As it turns out, apparently there was uh, some sort of glitch that caused the uh, fireworks not to go off. And uh, while everyone was uh, scrambling around behind the scenes trying to fix whatever was going on, uh, the, the announcers for the show decided to pass the time by uh, introducing Sweet Caroline Karaoke. After the show restarted and then glitched again, we moved from karaoke to playing the actual radio version of Sweet Caroline. And after the show glitched a third time, well, Sweet Caroline has now become part of EAA's history and numerous internet memes. From what I hear on the online groups, people were singing and playing Sweet Caroline all day on Sunday. Well, after the uh, premature ending of uh, certainly a unique air show at EAA, we all decided to uh, call it a night and headed back to our car. 
of course, um, thousands of other people decided to do that at the same time. So it took a good hour and a half to get my car back from the parking spot uh, to the campsite about 0.75 miles away. By the time that we finally did get back to the site, it was a little bit after midnight, maybe even close to one, and we were just pretty dead tired, so we decided to hit the sack. But unfortunately, after we entered our tent, what we found was that our sack was completely soaked. Remember earlier when I said I left the tent windows and doors open so we could air out our tent because there was only a 1% chance of rain and there was that small cloud Well, apparently that small cloud decided to dump all of its rain in our tent. Sleeping bags, pillows, clothes, the floor, food, all soaking wet. I tried to uh, quickly get a last minute hotel room and I was told that uh, it was going to be about uh, $1,000 for two rooms that night. And uh, I certainly wasn't going to do that. So I did the only thing that we could do. We all tried to find the driest parts of our cots and blankets hunker down for the evening with the plans to leave as soon as possible in the morning. And that's exactly what we did. We woke up uh, bright and early, packed up all of our stuff, uh, soaked in vomit and rainwater, hopped in the car, and so ended my first adventure at EAA. Despite all of those challenges, I'm still really glad I went. I got to introduce my uh, children to the world of aviation in a very unforgettable way. And I got to see some pretty cool aircraft. In fact, in retrospect, uh, when I think about this five days later, the whole experience reminds me about a typical flight in general aviation. There was excitement, nervousness, stress, heat, a whole lot getting dirty, luxury, spending lots of money, And in the end, an unforgettable and unique experience that we'll remember for the rest of our lives. Right. With that, it's time to get back to some business here. I do want to tag on a little bit of a a medical uh, update in this episode. And today we're going to talk about one of the recent updates that has come out of the FAA, and that's regarding medications for depression. And I'm actually going to turn to my colleague, Dr. Clay Cole, again to help with this because, well, one, I've got to get to my patients this afternoon, and I still have to shove this sandwich in front of me into my face. So without further ado, I give you Dr. Clay Cole. Well, thank you, Dr. Van. Dr. Clay Cole here, just with some updates from the FAA. Some of you may have heard that effective last May, the FAA approved a new medication that is eligible for approval under the category of selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or SSRIs. Many of you know that there is the ability to obtain a special issuance authorization, or another word for a waiver, if you have a condition such as major depressive disorder, dysthymic disorder, 
adjustment disorder with depressed mood or really any non-depression related condition for which an SSRI is prescribed. You need to be on the medication for six continuous months prior to assessment and be documented to be clinically stable as well as on a stable dose of the medication without any aromedically significant side effects or an increase in the underlying mental health symptoms. If you, as a pilot, have been on the medication for six months and can document that, uh, you would be eligible for special issuance authorization. Now, the drugs that were previously approved for that included fluoxetine with the brand name Prozac, sertraline with the brand name Zoloft, citalopram, otherwise known as Celexa, and escitalopram, Lexapro. What was added in May was bupropion, also known as Welbutrin. Now, the key here is that short-acting bupropion was not approved. It's only the extended release or the XL versions or SR versions, in other words, sustained release versions of Welbutrin. So that basically summarizes the updates from the FAA recently. And I think it's good news for pilots because it's yet another drug that has gone through the process of evaluation and is now eligible to be used and still hold a medical certificate. Dr. Van, back to you. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed my uh, story time today and the brief medical update. Remember, as always, that this show is an offshoot of our Mayo Clinic Clear Approach teleconsulting service. If you are a pilot out there and you have a question about your aviation health, you can log on to our website, just uh, Google Mayo Clinic Clear Approach. You'll find our website. You can sign up for an account and for a small fee, you can send our team of aerospace medical examiners your question and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Also, just a quick reminder, I really want to hear from my listeners out there. If you've got a question or a topic that you want me to address on the next podcast, just uh, let me know through email. And the email address to use is aeromed at mayo.edu. That's A-E-R-O-M-E-D at M-A-Y-O dot E-D-U. And until next time, this is Dr. Van wishing you great flying and even better health. Mm-hmm.